Psalm 119. Uh, this past week, uh, I, two things happened. I was reading uh, about the fact that Americans generally, they didn't really break it down that far, but Americans generally are far more anxious today than even during the COVID pandemic. And, uh, of course, uh, a lot of that has to do with inflation and, and people wondering uh, whether or not they're going to be able to buy food, uh, people wondering if, uh, if they're going to have to change jobs and work closer to home, just a lot of things that they see out. Of course, uh, war and uh, the result, of course, always of war is famine, the, the, um, uh, the loss of food. In fact, I was reading this morning that there's uh, several million tons of food uh, that are supposed to be leaving Ukraine to feed the rest of the world. Ukraine's kind of always been known as a breadbasket, but it's stuck in Ukraine because of the war, and it's going to have consequences, and people see this on the news, and what are they? They're anxious. They're worried. They're concerned. Well, the other thing that happened this week is not only did I read about all of that, but I, see, I received a message from somebody that nobody in this room knows, so I want to make that clear. And it's unfortunately, it's a message I've received too many times. This person shared with me that someone from their church had started to listen to a so-called prophet. And the result is they had begun to believe certain things and become paranoid, in fact, starting to yell and deride anybody who didn't agree with them and this prophet. Now, again, I've heard this so many different times, and the reason I think this is, this is happening, especially prevalent right now, is because everybody is looking for some way to explain or reason out what is going on. Now, my, my hope is you already know this. I hope you understand that there are people out there who are using and manipulating the Word of God to promote and to push an agenda that has nothing to do with the Word of God. I also want you to understand that pre, just mentioning or, or, or quoting the Word of God does not necessarily mean that one is teaching the Word of God. And we have to remind ourselves the other thing, I hope you understand this, that what you hear on the radio, what you hear on podcasts, whatever you hear in the headline news, the news, the news is not God's Word. Conspiracy theories, even if they're right or not God's word. Intriguing insights about what might or might not happen in the future are not God's word. But the thing is, the moment you try to pair something else with God's word, God's word is always going to become the lesser authority in your life. There has to be a difference between what you're hearing and what God's word actually says. And I understand why this is happening. I understand why these radio programs and these ideas and these uh, TV news broadcasts have become very, very popular. Some of you this morning, some of you would admit that the nation that you grew up in, maybe you're in your 60s, 70s, and 80s, the nation you grew up in is pretty much all but gone. And that's uncomfortable. And that's difficult to deal with. I understand the kind of changes and problems and politics have left us incredibly anxious. 
that it is very easy to, be gra- to gravitate towards someone who claims to be able to explain all of it. There's urges that we wish we could just find a way to go back to how things used to be. Oh, we want to look for that person who is going to get us worked up emotionally. Maybe turn our anxiety into anger. It would not surprise me this morning if there was somebody sitting here this morning who wished that I would spend more time talking about news headlines and politics and preached a little bit more from the newspaper. But the thing is, all I have to say, all about all, the only thing that really brings real change, the only great, the greatest help we will find is going to be God's word. Now, our text this morning, verses forty-nine to fifty-six, are all about loyalty or fidelity to the scriptures. Now, one of the things that has always bothered me, if you want to, you want to know one of my pet peeves, is I've heard people, not necessarily in this church, but I've heard people say to me that it's wrong to be more loyal to the Bible than it is to God. And when they say that, some part of me cringes because you can't separate the two. You can't worship God without the Bible. You can't open your Bible without running smack dab into God. So I want to go through this message assuming that we can't have God without his word and we can't have God's word without having God. So here's the courage. This is the thing that we're pushing. We have a necessity to remain loyal to God's word even when we cannot understand or explain what is happening around us. Jesus said to us that man does not live by bread alone. Do we understand what that means? What does it mean to not live by bread alone? Well, it means, Pastor, I need peanut butter and jelly too. No. You understand, he's, he's saying that the things that we are often tempted to worry about are not what actually gives us life. What does give us life? Well, Jesus tells us every word from the mouth of God. So what I want to do this morning, I want to give you three ways, or, or, or three, uh, three, uh, yeah, three ways, and how we do not live on bread alone, or how the Word of God is for the times when we can't understand what's happening around us. Number one, simply put, God's Word is what we need. Now, over the last couple of weeks, we have talked about our neediness, and we have talked about apologetics, we have talked about coming to God's Word. But I want you to see in verse 50 that I pull this idea directly from the text. He says, this is my comfort in my affliction. Affliction means something is going wrong. Something is bothering him. Something has upset the apple cart, if you will. And he's saying, this is my comfort. But in verse 51, he tells us what is actually bothering him. And you see there in verse 51, he says, the proud have me greatly in derision. Some of you might have in your Bible the phrase, the insolent utterly deride me. The same idea there is one of ridicule. Can you, can you maybe remember being the one teased on the playground? Maybe you, you were the bully. Maybe you did the, the teasing. You ever felt like you didn't belong? You didn't fit? That's the idea here. The derision he is feeling, is a, it's a type of social pressure. I am out of place. Many of us experience this. This is one of the reasons, I think, why, why we're so uncomfortable with what's going on. Because we, we are 
outright flabbergasted by what we see happening in our country, even in our own backyard. And we hear what's being said, don't we? Even some people who have political power and people who have powerful platforms are saying it out loud now. Christians are the problem. Derision. Some of you, when you hear that, it makes you angry. But it also probably makes you feel isolated. As I mentioned, maybe you're an older folk and you feel like, you know what, I'm a stranger in my own country. I see the pressure for our young people to conform. They hear it. They hear the derision of those who are religious, derision of those who might have pale complexion, derision towards those who might believe in the, 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 the original or, or orthodox Christian faith. They hear it. They hear the derision. But look at the second half of verse 51. He says, I do not turn away from your law. Think about that for a moment. The temptation when derision comes is to turn away. That's right on the money, isn't it? We don't, don't deny it. When somebody brings up a social topic, God's word does not, where God's word says something that is not popular, what's the temptation? To turn away from God's word. Notice again what he says back in verse 50. He says, what is, what is his comfort? He says, the word of God gives me life. Verse 49, he says, remember your word, your servant, upon which thou hast caused me to hope. Put together, the author is saying, God, you provided his word. God, you gave me hope through your word. Lord, you gave me life before from your word. I want that life again. I am in derision. I am greatly derided. I need life again. I need it because everything that is going on around me is sucking it all out of me. One of the things the Bible warns us about is itchy ears. Of course, if we have an itch, we want it scratched. And when we're objects of derision, when we are being, when the life is being sucked out of us by enemies, Maybe our ears get a little itchy to hear slanderous things about them. Maybe we become a little glad when things go wrong for for them. Maybe we find ourselves perhaps tantalized by guessing what's going to happen in the future. But no, none of those things are listed here as his comfort. His comfort is God's word. It gave him life. It gave them hope. He's praying and asking God that he would do it again. He doesn't leave his first love. He doesn't go after fleshly things. He sees God who brought flowers up out of the ground, who makes elephants walk on the savannah, and he says, you give life. That's what I need. I need you. Notice here, the Bible, again, says that that God gave him the Bible. God gave him the ability to believe the Bible. And I asked the question this morning, I wonder you, which side of this equation do you need help Some of us really just need to be more in our Bible. Some of us need to maybe change some of our habits. Maybe we need to read and open our Bible before we turn on the news, before we open social media, before we're trying, we we find our worldview implied by the derision of others. Or maybe you're in the Word. Maybe you have a regular habit. Maybe you're, you're struggling with having God's Word connect to your experience. 
Well, this is where you might need to pray, God, I know your promises. I have your word in my mind and in my heart, but I am having a hard time hoping in them. You are the giver of life. In the moments of derision, when I am uncomfortable, when the life is getting sucked out of me, the thing that I need is you. Number two, it's not only what we need, but it is what will guide us. Number two, God's word is what will guide us. Notice in verse 53, the author says, Horror hath taken hold of me because the wicked forsake thy law. Now we again could lay out example after example of the horrific things that very, have very quickly in our society become acceptable. And we see them. And we see the uptick in the immoral relationships. We see the uptick in the kind of crimes that in the past would have been considered sickening. We see the grooming of children. We see people with platforms promoting ideas that, that we think to ourselves just, just 20 years ago would not have been acceptable. And we have the idea here in verse 53, the psalmist is horrified. He's not only horrified by their actions, he's for, horrified at the pride behind it. It's like in Romans 1, we read this list of immoral behavior, and at the end we hear about how it's being cheered on. Now consider a comparison in verse 52. The author says, when he thinks of God's law, he finds comfort. Consider the comparison. He looks at God's law and he finds comfort. He looks out at the wicked and he's horrified. He looks down at his Bible, he finds peace. He looks out into the world, he finds himself disturbed. Further the contrast, verse 54, he looks at God's word while he walks through the horror. And what's the result? Singing. So he looks in God's word, he finds his comfort. He looks out into the world and he's horrified. He looks back at God's word and he finds himself singing while the whole world is on fire. There's something interesting about the idea of singing. Singing on the pilgrimage as we see in verse 54. The Bible will tell us that we are supposed to sing to one another. We read, of course, that we are supposed to sing to God. The idea here is the psalmist is singing to himself. The, the language there is not clear. He's either doing this singing to himself either at the beginning of his day or at the end of his day. And every Christian, every believer needs all three parts. We need to sing to God. We need to sing to him the truths in his word that we know to be true. But in fact, we also need to have the word sung to us. We need to sing to each other. You can find numbers of hymns in the hymn book that are all about singing towards each other. But here we find the psalmist he even sings to himself in his time of trouble. In this day and age, you have exceptional amount of access to music that will bring you and confront you with God's word. There's something special about singing because it's an activity that even God does. Now, one of the things I've said to you before in the almost eight years I've been here is that bad habits come in hard times when our hard times, we neglect the word of God. Bad habits can form in hard times when in hard times we're neglecting the word of God. The path we choose to take when things do not go well, the, paths we, or the, the, the habits we develop 
over our response to the horrors that we see going around us, they can actually begin to form if they're not informed by the word of God. And we react again and again in the same way. And we're not being guided by what God has said. Now, I've had people actually say to me, you know what, I don't know if God's word has anything to say about my trouble. And I ask them, like, what? Is your problem finances? Maybe it is severe inflation and gas prices has caused a great strain upon your family's finances. Does the Bible have nothing to say about that? It sure does. It says to go to God and ask him for what you need, to not envy the rich, to not be fraudulent in your dealings with money, to be a cheerful giver. But what if you're anxious? The Bible tells you that the Lord is near to you. The Bible tells you your biggest problem is your sin problem and it's been solved if you put your faith in Christ. All the problems become lesser problems. What about your grief? The Bible tells us that God is a special comfort for those who are grieving. What about those moments when sin abounds, when you see it and you're horrified? When you see people openly without shame shouting their immoral behavior? Does the Bible say anything about that? The writer's horrified by what he sees. But he lows back to God's word. There he finds his comfort, his stability. And he finds himself at the end of the day singing. What do you find Paul and Silas doing in Acts chapter 16? In prison, singing. As Jesus, as Jesus' disciples after the Last Supper and as they head to the garden, what did the Bible tell us they did? They sang. God has given us lyrics and he has inspired lyrics for our journey home. There's nothing, if there's nothing for you to do, then maybe you should just sing. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus and sing and do not be silent. God's word is what will guide us. And then number three, God's word is a blessing. Is a blessing. Lastly, this morning, verses 55 and 56, notice what the writer says. I remember your name in the night. Now, two things to consider here. First of all, the theme of night. In the Psalms, the picture of nighttime or going to bed is a, a picture used multiple times is described as being the most dangerous part of the day. When you are asleep, you are unguarded. When you are asleep, things can happen. The nighttime is when the watchman has to keep a full eye out because the enemy might attack. But of course, nighttime is for sleeping, and sometimes we have trouble sleeping because of anxiety. That's in the Psalms. The dark and the night are used throughout the Bible to illustrate trouble, which is why it's such a wonderful contrast to Christmas, because we have Christ born at night, but leading into the dawn of the new day. But the author says, I remember your name. In the heart of my trouble in the night. But what does he mean by remembering his name? It's a name that conjures emotions. Perhaps when you were dating your significant other. Maybe somebody would bring them up and it would just kind of warm your heart and bring a smile to your face. Perhaps there might be a name I could bring up this morning. It might make you clench your teeth and be angry. Maybe a different name would finally you find yourself anxious, or another name might make you feel all sorts of grief. 
But here he says, I remember your name. And thinking about God brings about an emotion. He doesn't tell us the emotion, but he says it drives him to keep God's law. So during the night, during the trouble, he thinks about who God is. And the result is he keeps God's word. He does what God wants him to do. Verse 56, he says, this blessing has fallen to me. I am blessed to have this. You know what? I hear this. If you want to, the idea, I hear this almost after every funeral I do. Pastor, I don't know how unbelievers get through a funeral. The same idea. He says, I'm blessed. This blessing has fallen to me. In the moment of grief and loss, in the moment of difficulty, God's name, I can, I can think about God's name. I can think about his word. It can guide me. And it's a blessing to have it. It's fallen to me. Or another way you could say it is this. I am so glad that I have God's word, that I have God in my life because he loved me first. It has fallen to me. Now, when you're having a hard time, when things are difficult, when you look out in the world and you're horrified, when you're in division, what you think about God matters. And that even includes when you're not thinking about him. Let me explain it this way. If you're facing a hard time, if you look out in the world and you find yourself troubled and anxious and and, and worked up, and God is not entering your thoughts at all, you're making a statement about him. You're saying he doesn't factor in this moment. You look out and you read the news and you see what's going on in your local, uh, your your town. And the first thing is not God, but but what am I going to do about this? You're saying, no, God doesn't factor in about that. But James warns us about thinking that way. He tells us about two men who go to a village who are going to make money. The prideful, he says, goes to the village not thinking about God. They say, we're going to go do this. But the righteous and humble man goes into the village and says, if the Lord wills, we will do such and such. But if you do think about God when trouble comes, what, what do you think? What goes through your head? Is it one of fear? Do you think the trouble has come because God is mad? What do you know about your heavenly father? Do you think his disposition is one of anger? No, in fact, the Bible says that God's disposition is the expression of love. Or maybe you think to yourself, you know what? God is never displeased. He's the grandfather in the sky. He never gets angry. Always patting us on our little heads. It's critical what you think. In fact, great pastors and theologians, every generation have said the most, perhaps the most critical thing a Christian can think is about what they think about salvation through Christ and justification by faith. Blessing. The right thought about God is what will drive you to think yourself blessed, even when the whole world is a dumpster fire. That's the measurement. When you're troubled... When you're in derision or you're horrified by what's going on, do your thoughts about God drive you to obey and consider yourself blessed? Let me tell you something. If you really want to get on people's nerves who hate you, if you really want to usurp their desire to have control over you, Have a thought about God that makes you feel blessed. 
in hard times when things are shaky, when we're anxious, when we're tempted to look at all the things that might tickle our ears and might let us have unbridled passions, God's word is not going to satisfy our tickles. It's going to tell us what we need to hear and it's going to call us to faith in the fruit of the Spirit. It is the word of God that you need in hard times. It is the word of God that will get you through the messy parts of life and hopefully mean that you will come out on the other side covered in a little less dirt. And these things are a blessing. God, you have God's word. You have the Holy Spirit. You have a room full of people who God, God wants to use in your life. And he's the one who gave them all to you. He is the one who gave you the faith to believe when you heard that Jesus Christ came to save you from the wrath to come. The most wonderful thing is for you to have God's word, to go into it in times of trouble. You will find yourself, if you do that, that you're not just getting God's word, but you're getting him, God himself. So let us not be pulled away by what we hear in the news, or those who want to tantalize us with headlines, we want to draw us away and separate us from the actually from the word of God. But come back to it and say, this is what I need. This is what will guide me through. And having this is my blessing. Let's pray. Father, I pray, Lord, that as we do deal with all of what's going on around us, perhaps, Lord, we have struggled mightily to see what is happening in the world around us or with what we see. Pray, Father, we would show fidelity to your word, understanding it is what we need. It is what will guide us. It is where our blessing is found. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.